0: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss. Now's the time to save thirty percent on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available twenty-four-seven to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher.
1: Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode, Fan of History.
2: Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie we are talking about rome for the first time in fan of history
1: that it was allowed anyway right (laughs) yes
2: you tried (laughs) but i stopped you
1: (laughs) hopefully you won't be sorry about that i don't think so i think this is a good time to do it
2: i have spent uh, years uh, researching rome i have been so interested in roman history but when I decided to start this podcast, I wanted to go even earlier and start it way before Rome. Yeah? I know people would talk about Rome and we would pass the year of Romulus and Remus. And I decided arbitrarily very early to start the story of Rome in 616 BC. You did. Thus, we have omitted the first king, Romulus, who killed his brother. We have omitted the second highly religious king who married a magic wood nymph. (laughs) And the third really violent king. And the fourth somewhat meh king. So we enter the story of the Roman kingdom by its fifth king, Tarquin I, Lucius Tarquinius Priscus. All right, tell me. So Rome moves out from legend into historical reality, or does it? This is, of Mm. course, an arbitrarily chosen date. This is our choice or my choice. So we choose here here to start the story of Rome in 616 BC, with the rise of Lucius Tarquinius Priscus as an Etruscan claiming the kingship of the small Latin town Rome. Mm-hmm. Oh, and game. Yes. Okay. He is definitely not a Roman. But this is arbitrary. We could choose another date because this is all extremely hard to verify. Yeah. We know for a fact through archaeology that some people, probably Latins, were around on the Palatine Hill in 900 BC. We mentioned that back in the very early episodes, that there is archaeological evidence mm-hmm. that people lived on the Palatine Hill and I think by this point someone have DNA tested them and they were probably Latins. I don't know that for sure. Yeah. We also know for a fact that there is a town called Rome here in 616 BC. So what what happened between 900 and 616 BC if we discount people sucking on wolves? <laughs> Oh uh, yeah. This is an ongoing debate. So some of the most critical scholars have claimed that Rome never was a monarchy at all. <laughs> More cautious historians look at monarchic institutions instead of the actual kings. But the king list with only 7 kings for from 753 to 509 BC is yeah. highly suspicious. This would be the longest average reign of these kings compared to any other dynasty in world history. They reign for way too long. There is no one who reigns for like a day or a year, but they are all, and they are like pigs. They are like, oh, how did we get this custom? Oh, it's a religious custom. Maybe it was the highly religious king that ordered us to do this. Yeah. Uh, So I've omitted all the legends about the rape of the Sabine women, the Romulus and Remus conflict, all of that. It's legend. And digging up, digging, finding some evidence from the early Roman kingdom is an ongoing project in archaeology even today. Yeah. And imagine the difficulty digging up something in Rome.
1: Yeah, it's a modern city. I
2: mean, it's been a, it's used, a city that's been in use all these years. It's a modern city, but it has a, a super long history. And it's filled with Italians who drive like crazy yeah. and don't care about <laughs> archaeology that much. At least not most of them. Sorry, Italian listeners. I don't think we have any. The Nelly
1: Bellelli. I'm sure he loves
2: it. <laughs> of course. I hope he listens. <laughs> I think he listens. So there is an... Italian archaeologist called Andrea Carandin who has uh, led several important excavations in the most ancient parts of Rome and he makes a couple of conclusions from this that um, is a little bit controversial
1: Alright, what do you say?
2: He wrote a book called Rome Day One and this uh, Adam Kirch writes in The New Yorker regarding this book It has been a very long time since anyone took this account as an accurate historical description, but Cardini provocatively suggests that it might be more or less true. Romulus did not create Rome out of nothing, he grants. But is it possible that there was a single day around the middle of the 8th century BC when sacred ceremonies were held to transform a collection of settlements into the city of Rome. Carandini believes that inscribed artifacts he discovered on the Palatine Hill bear out the ancient tradition that Romulus used a team of oxen to dig the outlines of a murus sanctus, the sacred wall on the future site of Rome. At the culmination of these ceremonies, Carandini writes, was human sacrifice. Mm. Once the walls were complete, A little girl was sacrificed, and her attributes were buried under the threshold. It was the discovery of this foundational deposit, in particular a cup, that enabled Carandini to date the completion of the walls to the second quarter of the 8th century BC, very close to the traditional date of Rome's founding. I'm still quoting this Adam Kerch Okay. Dr. Carandini said the wall built on the slopes occupied by huts of the pre-Roman settlement, was dated through a number of foundation deposits to about 750 to 775 BC. He said that the wall was possibly the sacred boundary in Rome's foundation legend and concluded that it was archaeological evidence of the existence of Romulus and Remus. Did he find the wolf? (laughs) No, he didn't. Based on these and other <laughs> findings, Dr. Carandini said of Rome's founding, everything was born after 750 BC. There was no gradual expansion of an old core, but a sever- sudden evolution of a city that was great and remains great. End quote. Oh,
1: I got a little crazy there at the very
2: end, but it sounds, yeah, it sounds, you know, there probably was a city there. This uh, article also notes then that uh, Dr. Carandini selling this legend to people and this evidence of the legend has earned him the admiration of the Roman public, but the disapproval of many of his colleagues. Mm-hmm. He gave a lecture in Rome, got 5,000 people listening to him, but other archaeologists are a bit skeptical of this. Yeah. It reminds me of um,
1: biblical, biblical archaeology, you know, where they're trying to find something they already want to believe.
2: Oh, yes. I I was in Rome uh, in 2012, and I visited Romulus' hut on the Palatine Hill. And I was like, how can they know that this is Romulus' hut? <laughs> I didn't quite buy it. No wolf in the hut either, I guess. No, I guess the wolf has uh, died from age... Yeah. <laughs> so, challenging the kingship itself it seems problematic to me that the Romans talk so much about their kings that I think there must have been at least one king. And I'm giving you three kings in this story. Yeah, yeah. We do have explicit evidence of the existence of the kingship, or do we? But there is an inscription on the Lapis Niger which was discovered underneath the Roman Forum, and this thing is dated to the late 6th century BC. Okay. That is during the time when the kings get kicked out. On the stone was inscribed several lines, of, and the word resé, or rekei was inscripted, which is a term that could be translated to for the king. Hmm. But that, that seems a bit shaky, right? Yeah. So, each of these seven kings would have reigned for 35-plus years if they were around from 753 to 509. Mm-hmm. So, I guess... It must have mer-
1: merged a couple together, you know?
2: I guess we can conclude that there is a regal period, and we are beginning it here in 616 BC.
1: Yeah, that's a good plan.
2: I'm beginning it with the first Etruscan king, because this Etruria is... A powerful alliance of states, city states at this point. Yeah. And even if there was something going on in this place before, that this is when Rome becomes known in Etruria because there is an Etruscan king. Right.
1: Yes. I think they said the Etruscan, there's controversy, not sure, but the Etruscans may have controlled, you know, around this time, all of most of Italy or uh, anywhere, anyway, where Rome was, like this, that area.
2: Their, their power base is to the north. Correct. Uh, you know, we have the Greeks in uh, south and a lot of tribes. And it will take the Romans a long time to conquer the tribes of Italy.
1: Right. And we have to think, we have, we have to not use our modern, like, lens, you know, or we think, like, you know, I live in U.S., you live in Sweden, so, like, every part of that area is, that means that it's, um, you know, sovereign or whatever, but... If they could have been like a vassal of the Eturians, that kind of thing, you know, you can't really control as easily as you can today. You know, like we said, we don't even have a birth certificate, so it's sort of like loose control.
2: Uh, remember, we know the important players in the Mediterranean: the the Phoenicians and the Greeks are are all over the Mediterranean. They speak very little of the Etruscans. We know there are contacts between. They both have contacts with uh, Etruria. Yes. But it's just a, a local place, and we don't get Greeks or Phoenicians speaking about Etruria a lot.
1: Right. It's interesting how the Etruscans, I recently learned or relearned, that they they use the Greek alphabet, They, but we can't really understand it because it's an Etruscan, but they use the letters.
2: Yes. Etruscan is still not uh, sold. We can't read it. Right. But they, they are heavily influenced by Greek uh, by Greek culture yeah. already. And a lot of Greek culture that comes down to the Romans comes from the Etruscans.
1: Yeah, that's interesting.
2: But we also have Etruscan influence on Rome that is very clearly Etruscans. And the most famous influence is, of course, a number of gods and the gladiatorial games. Yeah. So we, we probably think that the early Roman kingship was religious... Even if it was an actual kingship, it was a highly religious. Yeah. There, there is a title called Rex Sacrorum, the King of Sacrifices, that survived okay. way into the Republic. And the chief priest of uh, of the Rome was called the Pontifex Maximus, a title that survives today and is now held by the Pope. Oh, yeah. Was Caesar the
1: Pontifex Maximus too or something like
2: oh, that? Oh, yes, he was. I hope we, we come to Caesar one day. <laughs> That will be interesting.
1: (laughs) We'll just I'll probably like talk about we'll go get to Caesar and I'll talk about something crazy on offshoot.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so other things we know about from Rome at this point, it's the Comitia Curatia. That's the uh, the population of people with weapons. Ah. Grown men with weapons. Okay. And that's probably a popular assembly. Okay. So that that's the army. And the king has to uh, make them feel good about things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think
1: kingship was different in different places. I, I, I read just recently reading another book, and we we'll could talk about it another time. But um, you know, like Assyria, that like his that Assyrian king was, he was sovereign. I mean, he had sort you know power of life and death over everything. But not all kings were necessarily like that, and they did have assemblies, and you know, like the like the religious aspect of the kingship
2: was important. Or in Assyria too, of course. This might come as a surprise to our listeners because we have heard, if you're interested in Roman history, you've heard about the seven kings, but you can actually make the arguments that there were never a king at all. Yeah. And the first real person we are fairly sure is a real historical person, they are in the Republic. Hmm. So it's, it's after 509 BC. And also the date 509 BC is probably not the true date of the beginning of the Republic. But we'll talk about that in the the five O's. Okay, yeah, that's interesting to know, too.
1: So the king, so you're thinking that maybe there was all those kings, there never was a king, and it was always some sort of a republic. Maybe, or maybe there was a regal period, it's so uncertain. um, Yeah, conquered by by the Etruscans, and then they had their, you know, some kind of
2: a... They would have installed a king, kind of, you know? Yes. But also, remember our sources for the Roman kings. So Herodotus starts the trend of writing down history. Mm -hmm. And we don't have any sort of Assyrian-style monuments from the Roman kings. There's never, like, I, Romulus, founded this city.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, like, that missing is kind of interesting, right? And
2: writing history, the the trend doesn't reach Rome until the end of the 3rd century BC. Mm -hmm. That's 400 years in the future from 616 BC. Yeah. This is like you and me writing the history of the 30 Years' War without any sources, really.
1: Sheesh. All I know is they threw them out in a pile of shit and started it.
2: <laughs> there, There is uh, a theory that the earliest historical work by the Romans is the epic poem on the First Punic War written in the later 3rd century by a guy who was actually in the First Punic War. Mm-hmm. But that is way later than this. And all known Roman historians are even later. Yeah. So... Maybe, okay, the Romans don't start writing for 400 years after this. Maybe somebody else mentioned them. And there are some mentions of the Romans in other people's history writing. And we'll get back to that later. Mm. Aristotle himself knew that the Gauls sacked Rome in 390 BC. But that is 220 years in the future. Yeah. They, I did see that, that it's, it's speculated that it's
1: possible that there were records, and then after that sack, they were lost.
2: We will talk a lot about uh, the sack of Rome in 390 BC and how the Romans wanted this to be a total catastrophe and that they were always almost wiped out. But archaeology tells us another story about this sack, but that's for a ve- oh, much later right. episode. You know what else is making me
1: think since you've been talking to... It's just so funny. We could I could write, write on this and for months, and then when Dan and I start talking, like things come up. But like what you said, there's no burials of any of these kings we found? No, definitely not. You know what I mean? If you were king for 35 years, that's a new, any culture. They're, they're important people, have big burials. We, there's nothing. If they're digging in there, they found a the little girl, but no burials.
2: But Rome was... Uh... There was so much building going on in Rome for so long time, so we don't have...
1: But you don't build over the king's grave. But, but they hated
2: the kings later. I guess, yeah, that's it too. It is very murky. But one important tool for writing down things is, of course, the alphabet. Yeah. And we know that the alphabet comes into Italy from Greece around 700 BC. So they have the alphabet in 616 BC. We have some inscriptions in Rome at the end of the 7th century, about this time. Mm-hmm. But it's surprising how little writing survives from the period 600 to 200.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role in a given month. Over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place with LinkedIn. You can hire professionals like a professional post your free job on LinkedIn.com spoken today. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the everything iconic podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about splash refresher because hydration is mandatory
2: 250 BC. There is super little writing in Rome until 250 BC. And that's,
1: that's weird. It's so weird. It's not like writing is like, you know, you could say, well, back in the past. I mean, like, they've been writing for thousands of years, people have been writing. It's not that unusual.
2: Yes, SR Hedon could look at Sargon the Great's writings, which were right far over 1,000 years old. Uh, he, could, he could read, yeah, the Epic of Gilgamesh, I mean. But the Romans leave very little behind from, the early, from their earlier times. And one theory is that writing was an aristocratic and a phenomenon that didn't do much until Rome had much more contact with Greece and Carthage. And then they saw these people use writing for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. They must have been very backward, So all the writings earlier than the tombs of the Scipios, that's in 250 BC, Mm -hmm. are meager and highly controversial. And they really don't add a lot to our understanding of early Roman history. I might be way off here. Maybe we shouldn't mention Rome before much later, but I couldn't wait. (laughs) So we have to do it in 660. You can't. Yeah, We already started. The cat's out of the bag. Yes. (laughs) Livy himself uh, speaks about how bad all the records are. And he says that it was the Gauls. They destroyed everything.
1: He's the one who said
2: it. So the Romans that actually write things in 250 BC and later, they don't have too many sources, as far as we understand. So their writing is also suspicious. Yeah. Maybe they only... Or they have mostly oral legends to go from.
1: Yeah. That's how you get a wolf, feeding babies.
2: And if you want to dig in the city of Rome today, it's like, oh, do you want to tear down the Senate? Do you want to tear down the the market of Trajan? Yeah. Oh, you can't do that. Yeah. So you can only dig a few holes at some places. And you, you want to dig exactly the places where these... Classical time monuments are
1: Yeah, they're probably built right on top of it, right exactly. Maybe the grave, yeah, the graves are right there.
2: Yes, because that's the
1: center of the city. Sure. That's the forum. Yeah. Yeah, Romulus' grave might be right under the
2: forum. Yes. So, in the end Lucius Tarquinius Priscus could also be a legendary king and Rome in any familiar form that we know it might not have existed in 616 BC because the reign of the last three kings they are also suspiciously long. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you can argue that this is probably true for any city in 616 BC that didn't exist in a well-documented area like Babylon, Memphis, or Assyria.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's a backward place, for sure. So it's oral traditions are the main source, and how do you evaluate oral traditions? You can't, like go to the 6th century BC and look at what people said then, because we don't know. We only know what came down to us.
1: Right, of course. It's like that game telephone, right? It's a like whisper in one person's ear by the time he gets there.
2: But the Romans really insist that the monarchy was overthrown and that the Gauls sacked Rome. So maybe these major events for the Kingdom of Rome and the Republic are true. Yeah, something. It's got to be based on some sort of truth about... They must have
1: merged a lot of kings together, like you said. How could there be seven kings, each with 35 years each?
2: And if you ask the Romans, Romulus founded the Senate. The Senate was already 140 years old. Yeah. Of course, all the families that were nobles, they will proudly tell you that that is the truth. We've been around. We've been uh, important in Rome since hundreds of year back, years back. Right, 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 right. I mean, they must have had a Senate, you know, like you hear these
1: Assyrian things, like, you know, and then it, the king will say, we went in and I took, we, you know, we, the village, co- uh, the city council, and I killed all the elders, I killed all this, you know, the council members. So I think every city did have some sort of a council, even if they did have a king or, you know, a king running everything, some sort of a mayor, you know, that kind of thing.
2: Yes, but when the Romans start to write things, they are very influenced by the Greeks And the Greeks, they do a lot of theory on how to run a city, etc. Yeah. So that's why the date of 509 BC is suspicious, because it's just a little bit earlier than the democracy in Athens. Oh. (laughs) So if you say 509, then Rome is a little better than Athens.
1: Uh. (laughs) Oh. Interesting.
2: And I didn't know that this period the sources were so bad before I started this research. Yeah. And compare it to the amazing coverage we have of the first century BC. Yeah. For the time of Julius Caesar and Augustus, that's better than we have for most of the Middle Ages. Yeah, amazing. So perhaps the kings were real, or at least some of them. The Romans of the late Republic, they thought that the kings were real, and they feared the return of the king. Mm-hmm. So the questions we have to ask then, what was Rome actually like in 16 B.C.? Do we know anything? Well, we know a little about the political situation around Rome. The the Etruscan League, or maybe that is not a thing yet, but Etruscans Mm -hmm. have city-states and they form a league. We have the Latins in Latium, the plain around Rome, and they have different communities slash city-states, slash something in Latium, and they don't obey the Romans. Right. We also have the Samnites living fairly close to Rome, and they will be Rome's most ferocious enemy ever, if you count how long time it took for Romans to defeat them.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. It's, um, it's, it's
2: it, if they sp- speak Latin, then they must have been Latins, though, right? Yes, the the Latins are definitely a tribe, And the citizens of uh, the the town of Rome, which we probably should be talking about here, they are Latins. Yeah. And I'll talk more about why an Etruscan comes to be the king. Okay. But there there is nothing special about the location of Rome. It's on the Tiber. That's great. You have a big river. It's on the Palatine Hill, which is a great place to have a, a walled community. But it's far away from anything important at this time Mm -hmm. because the important things in italy are of course the etruscans and the greek and phoenician colonies
1: right and the greeks were able to just move in in the south so obviously the etruscans and the latins or anybody didn't have a lot of control over the whole area especially down there you know it's not like you could just march into assyria and set up a colony on palestine somewhere they wouldn't have been happy about that
2: but we know there was an etruscan influence on rome we know that there was a Greek influence first through the Etruscans and then directly, but that's far later. Yeah. We know that the Romans had a vague recollection of their most distant past. Hmm. So what we probably need to do is to recognize principles of storytelling and sort of try to deduce what was really true. Yeah. So all you can do. There's no sources. We actually have Roman later writers that are themselves skeptical of the tradition but they say that they preserved it for patriotic and didactic purposes.
1: Right. Just look at today like in America where you know they're trying to talk about the founding fathers, you know, having slaves and things like that. They're making laws against like talking about stuff
2: like that. So some of the names of the kings are obviously intentional like the very hostile king Hostilius <laughs> yeah. Tullus. What is his name? Tullus Hostilius. <laughs> okay, this guy's hostile and likes war.
1: Yeah, right. Hostilius. Talus Hostilius, I We have a name.
2: good reason to believe that there was pretty much constant warfare in the area, and that this town survived, so they must know something about fighting. The Romans seem to have been agrarian, they, and, they, and they are raided by pastoral neighbors in the hills nearby.
1: Mm-hmm, classic.
2: So, there, there are border raids, and the Romans are used to this and know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. And we probably have something that we see in most Indo-European communities in the Mediterranean, that there is a king, there is a leader, and there is an aristoc- aristocracy, mm-hmm. and there's tension between them. Yeah. So, the fact that there are Roman nobles at this time, uh, it's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the these old legends about Rome, they really influence later Romans of the upper, Republic. Like Julius Caesar and Augustus was descendant from the god, from Venus, from oh. the goddess. <laughs> and the Julius family claimed this highly suspicious ancestor that we are actually the descendants of God. Right. Well, hey. And it worked. Yeah. It they were... They were the highest super noble family in Rome.
1: Yeah, I can't beat that. I don't know, fathered by a god. By a wolf, you know, wolf feeds you. The basket, founded a basket by a, you know, the whole classic religious...
2: Stop mentioning the wolf. (laughs) I
1: can't help it. (laughs) It Just makes it all not true, right?
2: (laughs) Yes. So, in the end... This was my long uh, caveat, but we don't know much about Rome at this time. And having said all this, we will now cover the details in Rome from this point, as we do with all other civilizations. So we will consider Rome a reality from 616 BC. Okay. And if you have any objections to my decisions here, you will have to fight Bernie in the ring. (laughs) Please don't please don't beat him up. No, don't. Because I already lost a fight to Dan. That's
1: why I had to wait till now. <laughs> <laughs> he got me with a head kick. That was it.
2: Oh, down. <laughs> so the important thing that happens here for our story is that this guy becomes the king, Lucius Tarquinius Priscus. He's a Truscan. He's the legendary fifth king of Rome. He reigns from 616 to 579 BC. That's a very long time. Yeah. There is no principle of hereditary monarchy. Oh.
1: Uh,
2: So, the... uh, That sounds like a republic in a way. And one of the kings, uh, Ancus Martius, one of the legendary kings, was the grandson of the highly religious king, Numa Pompilius. But that was just pure chance. Oh, okay. They were good guys. They were elected kings. Okay. So, none, none of the first kings had been succeeded by their sons. And each subsequent king had been, according to the legends, acclaimed by the people. Okay. Tarquin is a guy from the city of Tarquinius. That's why he's called Tarquin. So that's mainly, it's it's Lucius from Stockholm. Yeah, right. Bernie from Scranton. And he's the first because there is another one later. So the king dies and this guy addresses the armed guys, the Comiche curiata. And he managed to convince them that he should be elected king. Because Lucius Tacrinus Priscus has been living in Rome for some time. He has been contributing money to important things, such as gladiatorial games. Oh. And he's a man of the world. He is charming, he is eloquent, and he has won the heart of the Romans. Lucius so yes, makes his case. But in one tradition, uh, Ancus marches the king before him has natural sons. And we have to mention that because they will be back in the story. And he managed to make his bid for the kingship when they are out on a hunting expedition. Uh (laughs) So they can't argue against him. So my impression of Lucius Tacorinius Priscus is that he is a, a very savvy Etruscan politician who for some reason couldn't get power over his native city. And thus he went to this outback place, to the hillbillies in Rome, and charmed them with his dazzling political skills. Yeah,
1: probably it. Probably learned Latin and
2: everything. Unfortunately for for Rome, this guy is good at what he does, but he will will, uh, have a son, and that guy will have a son, and that will be the end of the Uh monarchy. But there is another guy between that. We'll talk about them as if they were real in the rest of the episodes. Okay. So that that was a long explanation of the situation, but I feel it's necessary. No, to, it is because I've been yelled at all these years to try not to talk about Rome. So, <laughs> but when we talk about the Assyrians, we know a lot more. Yeah. Remember, the, the Assyrians had a working postal service. They sent letters to each other. We have so much evidence for the Assyrians. Yeah. And we have almost nothing for the Roman kings. Yeah. I, I
1: think that's a good, like, the Greek colonization is one way. You could look at it, too. Like, they were colonizing to the west, and they were able to just land in Italy and Sicily and all those places. They weren't, like, landing on in, in Assyrian territory. There's no way they can, it was used, it was taken, and it was already used, taken, so must have been a lot of wide open territory.
2: Yes, you also have to consider the the nature of the Italian peninsula with these mountains going as a sort of backbone of Italy. Yeah. It's there's a lot of valleys and uh, forests and stuff, so it's natural to stay in your area. Yeah. A little like Greece, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, for whatever
1: reason they just didn't you know have that population explosion yet and but they will obviously. Wasn't it also that um, a lot of, you know, just people just moved into Rome, like crim- like they say criminals and people escaping from things and stuff like that? Isn't that part of the story?
2: It, there seems to be an ethnic mix in Rome, and there, there seems to be some sort of immigration to Rome. The traditional story is, of course, that Romulus welcomed everybody okay. to Rome when he founded it, and then he got mostly criminals and people who were kicked out from their communities. I see. And they were mostly guys, so Rome ended up being a very a city with no women yes <laughs> and, then, and then Romulus, okay, now I'm into the legends again yeah R- Romulus thought, well hey, this is not good for the future, and thus the, the rape of the Sabine women. but the, the second king was a uh, Sabine, hmm according to legend, but there is some sort of ethnic mix and that makes you think that think that Rome is a special place, but we really have no evidence for Rome being special in any
1: way at this point. Just by the history. The only evidence we have is that it ended up being special.
2: Yes, yeah, so it's, it's probably... If you time travel to this to 616 BC and visit Italy, you should probably visit the Greek colonies, the Phoenician colonies, or Etruria, and the main Etruria city. Maybe you should go to Tarquinis, <laughs> where yeah. the, this city where... Where Tucarius Priscus came from?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, you, how could you resist checking Rome? He out?
2: couldn't make his case there. Yeah, right. <laughs> he had to go to, to the countryside. <laughs> Interesting. And convince some gullible Latins. So now, going forward, we have kings and
1: such from Rome. The sources are slim, but we're going to do our best. Is that what we're going to do?
2: Yes, we'll we'll spend one hundred and seven years with the kings of Rome. Okay. And then things heat up. Probably not in five oh nine BC, but we'll take it in five oh nine BC.
1: Yeah, we'll just use that as a date.
2: Because the the, earl, the rise of the Republic is very much creation myth for the Romans. Sounds like it from what you're saying, because it just sounds
1: like they had they had some sort of a you know representative government even way back then.
2: And remember when Brutus is convinced to uh, partake in the murder of Caesar? It's because Brutus was the guy who overthrown the kings, his ancestor, like 500 years before. Oh, all right. So I said, well, you saved the Republic once, now you must do it again. Yes. But now we have an empire to bury. The next time, I think, right? Yes. So next episode, it will be the final battle of the Assyrians, and it will probably be two episodes. I hope it's two episodes. Yeah. I'm not sure right now, because the sources are actually bad, because, uh, you know, the Assyrians, they don't write much when uh, things no. go bad. And now they go really, really bad. I think they feel like
1: they go bad so fast I they never knew what was happening.
2: Yes, and I'm going to argue that uh, it happens in one year, pretty much. Poo, all takes. All right, let's get to
1: it. Let's wrap this one up and so we can get to that one.
2: Yes, eight years in the making, the fall of the Assyrian Empire, next time on Fan of History. Next time
1: on Fan of History. Let's get right to it soon. A couple weeks will we have that one. I'll talk to you then, Dan.
2: Always a pleasure.
1: Always. Cheers.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Fan of History. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. daily live coverage begins monday may 20th with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment from the first serve to the final point roland garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history stream now with tennis channel plus to be there when it happens
1: imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time